So, Nathan. Yes, Adrian. Did I ever tell you about the one-shot I ran yesterday? No. So, this was a one-shot that was very last-minute planned, because, not to date this episode, but we are in the run-up to Christmas. And as part of a social do with a group that I'm involved with, uh, I offered to run a little one-shot, and I wasn't entirely certain as to who would be here and or what experience they would be, so it was very last-minute hastily put together. But all things considered, it went reasonably well. It started off with introduction and asking them to tell me who they are and how the Santa stand-in, the jolly Prince of Winter, had wronged them in the past. This, of course, being that mischievous fae spirit known to ride through the sky on a sleigh on winter's night and break into children's houses in order to steal their presents. Uh, the adventure then started with a sleigh piloted by two very drunken gnomes crashing through the roof of their feasting hall, landing on their table, uh, involved them spending a good two hours working out how the sleigh worked and trying to get it out of the hall so they could fly it to the, to the jolly Winter Prince's domain, and concluded with them killing Santa and throwing his crown into a fire. And that was how I ran a Christmas one-shot. Sounds like you rolled for some shenanigans. We did. Shall we? is we're, we're discussing one shots we're also discussing i think them as an introduction yes. to D. a lot of what we've focused on recently has been very introductory um i might for the next episode maybe we'll do something more at the other end concluding a campaign or high level campaigns or something along those lines because we're also yeah. both running some of those but yes. for now now i I'm planning a one-shot at the moment, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode. You've just ran one, I'm planning one. Mine's not going to be Christmas-themed, it's just a general do-a-one-shot that will be introductory. I was asked by a friend of mine saying, you know, I would like to try tabletop games. How could you run a game for me? And I think it's worth saying right off the bat, AJ... That the most common problem every GM runs in with one shots is they take more than one session. Yeah, I mm, the I have had multiple one shots that I've come back to the third session and gone right. We're going to finally finish this today. All right. Yeah. For my for a podcast they did as a student, we uh, recorded. We were trying to do one in a one shot in one recording session. Um, in the hope that it would produce a six-episode special. It ended up producing 13 episodes and taking three recording sessions. But, you know, yeah, things march on. One of the real advantages I had with the one-shot I ran yesterday with the, the Jolly Wind Prince is that I had not planned it. I had all the ideas in my head, but because I wasn't certain as to who would be there to play it and what experience they would be. I spent all night up until one in the morning just preparing, pre-generating a number of third-level character sheets so that no matter who turned up, uh, no matter what experience they would be, we could feasibly just go, here's a character, join in and play. So we could get straight into the game. But the advantage of that was, is I had a big start point and an end point, and I could kind of just 
crop or fill to the deadline. And that is my exact reason why I use the game Paranoia mm. as my filler game. You you will have played you played many Paranoia games than me. You quite you seem to quite enjoy annihilating yourself. I do. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure that every single time I've played, I've been the cause of my own demise. Yes, and with because it's Paranoia, several times over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but Paranoia, I think, suits that game style incredibly well. Because it is, it is two things that you want for that. Um, one, it is very light on rules and your players don't need to know the rules system beforehand. Because it is literally against the rules for anyone other than the GM to know the rules. And the GM, um, spoilers, uh, anyone who uh, finds this out is a dirty commie traitor and should take themselves for immediate annihilation. I'll, I'll just go ahead and the... mute, mute myself, shall I? Uh... <laughs> the, the rule book tells the GM to just make it up and cheat. Um, <laughs> so, like it says, make the players roll a dice. Then decide what that meant. Um, <laughs> the... the uh, there are some rules if you yeah. if you don't like that style of game, but that is what it does say. But um, paranoia, there is an the end point is the debrief, and the start point is the briefing. All you have to come up with with what the briefing is, and a couple of strange gadgets from R and D, and I think you've got a basic paranoia game. Um, the characters just need a mutant power and a role, and you can have the role assigned to them in the game session. That that is basically it, um, and I think this is this is a really good thing for a one shot because parano- because one shot games like that where you're running them at social events, perhaps in tabletop societies at yeah. university, at um, at other social gatherings where games are being played. I ran one at a banquet, um, which is a, an event yes. both me and you go to. Um, you've like you say you ran this for as part of another social thing. Yeah, Christmas do. Yeah. In these uh, socially say, distant times. <laughs> yeah. We should say, uh, listeners, that we are not encouraging you to turn up and force role-playing into a social event that does yes. not ask for it. it was Always ve- get yeah. consent before running a game. It was very much a case of, uh, at this one, someone, someone else had suggested, had, had gone, who would be interested in D&D, got a list of who'd be interested, and then it was just a case of, all right, who wants to run it then? And yeah. at banquet, there was it was a case there was chance for board games and stuff in advance. It was very much expected that this sort of thing would potentially be on the cards. Yeah. And one of the examples I was going to bring up was from banquet to just say that was very much kind of a game where you could just go, all right, I'm going to pop out some paranoia. Who wants in? And uh, someone next to us did the Pokemon role playing game as an introduction, like like um, we were talking about a bit with my situation. So I think the first question that we're sort of roundly talking around is why do a one-shot? What's the mm. point? Because I think when people think of role-playing games, and certainly when people talk about role-playing games to each other, they think of big, grand campaigns, yes. right? Like you, you, like a lot of the stories you read on the internet are like, oh, we fought the evil bad guy and, and we first saw him a year ago and, and, and mm. it was all personal and, and since then all of these things had happened and we'd leveled up many times. But one shot is kind of one and done and you can never replay it again. And there, there is, or at least the same people are never going to do anything again. Sometimes one shots spin into campaigns yeah. and that's quite nice. What are the, some of the reasons you've run one shots in the past? 
So I'd say there's broadly two versions, two reasons why I do it. Maybe three if you're getting subcategorical. Uh, one of the most common ones for me is literally as an introduction to the game. I've mentioned it a lot in the past, like with um, the RPG Society that I've mentioned at length. Mm. Every time that started up at the start of the year, it was this understanding of we need a load of people who'd be able to run games. We, you don't know who's going to turn up. You literally just need to have something prepared that you can go, there's room at my table if you want to try out this game or to see what it's like playing under this DM, come along and have a go. And so you'd have, so you, you kind of just need to have something that can be started and concluded in one session that's got a clear end goal and a clear starting point that's going to give people a way in quickly. That's mm. where I feel, and, that's one of the and, reasons I have a whole folder full of first level pre-generated characters. And that's um, very applicable to a number of other situations. Obviously, I've been approached by a friend to do pretty much the same thing, but just for a closed group of people. Uh, but that is also my experience of GMing at conventions and in local game stores is that anyone and everyone might, even if you are mm. trying to run a game for friends, other people might overlook and, and wander over. So, wander over, and sometimes I have literally, in games otherwise run by my friends, invited a person to participate. This is getting a bit off topic, but like, you know, I would say, no, why don't you just run this monster for me? Just tell me what it yes. does. Um, you know, just because for me personally, them being involved in the game, even in a token manner like that, yeah. is easier to manage and less annoying than them staring over the shoulders. Or maybe they start acting as an advisor to the PCs. It depends whether you think they're going to be, you know, whether they are, you because you are absolutely in your rights, even in a local game store, to say you don't want someone doing a particular behavior that's disruptive. But... Mm. If you if you end up being invited, as I have been by a couple of local game store owners, running a game like that, in any situation where you don't know who's going to turn up, the one shot is a good way to go because yes. you don't you're not you have you don't want to put an obligation on people because even if they enjoy it, you know, I might go to a local game store who are running an RPG night just because I want to play a game for once and do it with some different people. I, I play and I enjoy myself, and then they go, okay, everyone here next week. I could have enjoyed it loads, but it might not be that I have that free time regularly. Yes. Which kind of brings me to the second category I was going to mention, which is more as just a social situation. It's not necessarily meant to be a long campaign, because it's not. it might not just be something that you're regularly meeting, but it is meant as a social tool. And in the, in the same way that you might crack out a board game, you can crack yeah. out a game of D&D. It's something that's meant to be a bit of fun for one evening. And this is where I would get into the two subcategories of either for strangers and for friends. Because the game I ran yesterday, very much more leaning towards the for strangers. Sure, it's a group of people that are, are part of a group that I'm involved with that I am very much enjoy being involved with and a member of. But I don't personally know all the people involved. Mm. I don't know who's going to be interested. And I probably haven't. And I, in the end, I hadn't met half the people. Uh, certainly not recently, but not. I hadn't. I didn't know them as a yeah, person very well, yeah. so that's something that's kind of geared towards just going. Right, we've got we've got a few hours, and we want to do something fun. And the alternative is, in the terms of for friends, that's more of an example of 
maybe you haven't met seen some of these people for a while and you just and you all have this shared hobby and it seems like a good chance to just chat chat shit and, yeah, have, and have a good time in college and in mm. our early uni years i would often run giant usually me and one other person would yeah. run giant ass Christmas games, if you remember. Yes. Like lots I remember one of those to... because I was only yeah. playing D&D long enough to be involved in one of those. Yes, at that's that time. true. But um, yeah, there was... Um, I still remember the, the giant crossover universe episode <laughs> one as a lot of fun because yeah. um, that game was a one-shot, but because there were so many people, two GMs were running it, one in one room, one in the other. I think that but is every the one I was again, in on. <laughs> yeah. Every now and again, if you touch certain things in this giant dungeon we'd made, a uh, one of the other GMs would appear and say, "I am a, I am wandering mischief," and uh, something one group had done would would cause an effect on something yep. the other group had gone. And my group quickly discovered how to swap player characters, <laughs> <laughs> and they just kept pressing that button repeatedly so that they could keep swapping people out. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah, I think those are two good categories. If I may, can I add at least one more? Uh, certainly. One thing I was just going to point out is that with one of my ongoing groups, the, uh, mm-hmm. the the one that's currently playing in my more steampunk world, that one began because of one of those friend groups. It was literally just mm-hmm. a case of we're, we're having a bit of a holiday. We've got a few. We've got a week uh, in this place, and we're all interested in this. Why don't we run a one shot, or rather, a, a multi session small game in that time? It's meant to be very self contained, but people enjoyed it enough and we realized we had enough shared free time to continue that as the long term and that is one of the other examples of how a one shot can turn into a long game that was the only additional point i was going to make there so your your next category sir uh experimentation um in particular this is often how i will approach new game systems that i haven't seen or know much about the first paranoia game i ran i ran as a one shot because i didn't know how paranoia played uh, last year, I ran a Star Trek role-playing game system game because I like Star Trek. I wondered if it was a good role-playing game system. But if you don't know that much about the system, you don't necessarily want to commit to a long campaign. And you don't necessarily know what that what kind of games that, that facilitates. So I just ran a one shot, actually a game, as is typical, turned into two sessions, but nevertheless, a, a, a short game that was designed to stretch the system. So the Star Trek mm. game I ran, it started with some negotiation, then it had a bit of an away mission and a space combat thing, and yeah. then some more investigation-y type stuff, you know, and then there was some ground combat. So the, the, the game had described different possible aspects, and I tried to include each one in this one shot at some point not generally how i design an adventure if it wasn't for i want to see how all of these rules interact i'd gather feedback from the players and there was an understanding that you know i didn't know the rules and they didn't know the rules this was this was a big experimentation kind of thing this can also this experimentation category can be when you do know the game quite well but you are wanting to try something you've never done with the game, maybe a new setting, maybe a new style of adventure. Just basically, whenever you're like testing the waters with something, you might run a one-shot. And relatedly, perhaps a fourth category, another one-shot I played in was because the GM, who'd played D&D for an extremely long time, wanted to get used to GMing more. So 
ran a number of one-shots with a lot of different groups, basically just to get a feel for GMing and, and learning about GMing. Um, and they'd found some pre-written adventures that they wanted to run. So they just did that, basically. Yeah. And And if you're nervous about GMing, and if you're unsure... Don't worry about committing to a campaign. Just do an adventure. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a very good way to get into GMing is if your regular GM is like, for some re- either for some reason they can't make it or they're like, okay, we finished that campaign. I do have another one in mind, but you're going to need to give me a couple of weeks to write things up. They are never going to be angry with you for going, can, can I run something in the intervening time? Yeah. Yeah, I have one of my <laughs> one of my players in our steampunk world. When our previous game came to a conclusion, I opened the floor for people to have a go at it, and he said that he wanted to have a he wanted to try something out. He ran a a one shot that, as as is typical, took two sessions, <laughs> but that that gave him a chance to get familiar with it. that gave him a chance to try something out to get familiar with the with the game system a bit more and to see what he's see to see what he's comfortable with and now he's 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 doing a lot more dming himself he's getting a lot more areas yeah. in there and i'm really i'm really glad he i'm really glad he had the confidence to step and do step up and do that yeah. and get things there and is, is trying things out absolutely nothing wrong yeah with only enjoying one half of role playing games or even in, I'm going to just use a LARPing example now, because um, yeah, I'm that nerd. That nerd, really, Nathan, really, really. The yeah. man who looked, took one look at me at the in the first recording session and went, yep, you can tell exactly what hobbies he does. You're going to take on the mantle of that nerd now, are you? Well, just, you know, <laughs> you don't laugh, but I do. But in, LARPing, in LARPing, we need three distinct roles rather than two. We need ref, which is the GM equivalent. You need players obviously, but you also need a crew, which sometimes the refs, in a small enough game, sometimes the refs can be the crew, but quite often... It's people from crew. Yeah. The crew... No. (laughs) Um, Every every LARP, just the people of crew have started erecting barriers just because whenever someone says a LARP, they just, the hair stand up on the back of their head and go, oh no, not again! Yes. The the wagons um, roll in. The crew role is to play NPCs and minions and monsters so that the refs can do important running things and setting things up. Yeah. I really, really like refing. I don't mind playing and I hate crewing. And in order to, you know, repay my dues um, to the LARPing community, I will do all of those roles at some point. You know, I will, I will crew games because crewing generally it's a bit of a thankless task. I will crew crew games if I can for people who have crewed my games because I want yeah. to repay that debt. But there is a, I know people who love crewing or and hate refing or love playing and hate refing or, you know, any other combination. And the same is true with role playing games. I know people who love playing and hate GMing and so on. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think but I do think Everyone at some point ought to try each role. Um, yeah. I think I've learned a lot, actually. There is a, it's due to conclude today, actually. But there is a game I've been playing in, um, an experimental space opera game um, by a good friend of mine. And I think I've learned a lot by playing in a long-running campaign like that. Because it's a long time since I did play in a in a long running campaign they have all been kind of one shots more recently so i just wanted to say 
One shots are a great way to find out if you like GMing, and I think you will be a better role playing over role player overall for having tried each position once, even if you find out by trying it you hate a particular role and then you never do it again. Yeah. So if if you're that person, you're you that you you that person listening to this podcast right now who spent ages thinking that they want they want to they want to try DMing but they haven't had the confidence yet or they just don't or they there's there's always someone else running a game. You you should go ahead and run a one shot. You Steve. <laughs> We're talking to you this everyone else who's not Steve Shut Steve. this podcast off now. This is a message directly to you. If you were listening to that and yeah, you weren't called no. Steve, you've, you've got wrong information in your ears. Purge it. Well, I don't know where we go from that. <laughs> <laughs> So, why don't we discuss... We've talked a lot about what a one-shot can be used for, what its uses are. Things like introducing introducing new people to a game in it, or giving yourself a chance to try out DMing, or just as a social chance. We haven't talked a lot about what how how you can structure a one shot on how how you, on how or how we would build one t- up, uh, particularly given the fact we've commented that most one shots last uh, at least two sessions. It may be worth sort of talking about our approaches to constructing one like that. Well, I think the reason that most one shots end up lasting more than one shot, especially when it's an introduction, and especially because you don't know the class of the well, the people you're going to get. I think there are two approaches you can take. You can be quite rigid, you know, have a very clear structure and move players on from scene to scene. And I think, you know, that railroading gets a bad reputation and I certainly don't advocate it. But in a one shot, I think it's a lot more valid. And that's one of the reasons I think Paranoia is quite good, because it allows a great deal of fucking about. But ultimately, you, the GM, have a lot of power to say, okay. Now you arrive at this place. You are here now. What do you do? This is, you know, you know, you need, and because you've got friend computer and because all of the missions have a time they have to be completed by, um, you can start saying, you know, time is wearing on, guys. You, know, you don't have a, yeah. And Whereas, if a scene gets too fuckery every, and, every, and everyone just happens to kill themselves, you can decant them in the next room. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's one approach. The other approach, which is much more common in, by me in general and in D&D specifically, is I think you allow a lot more freedom and because you don't yeah. know the people involved and what they're going to bring to the table, you're less used to hurrying them on. Like, you know, when you've run a, for a group for a long time, you get to, as a GM, you get a sense for, oh, this conversation is completely circular now, so this. Or you get a sense of when you should give them some information. Um, I, I often say something along the lines of, you would know that so-and-so wouldn't be able to do that thing you've just theorised because of this. Because I know that if I don't cut that off, the players are going to come up with a plan, one, assuming that that is absolute gospel truth, mm. and two, it will take them several hours to discuss that plan, and I'd rather cut those hours out and spend and have them spend time discussing or enacting a plan yeah. that works. <laughs> yes. You, d- you don't want to stop them having fun, but you also want to make sure that they're always uh, going in a forward-progressing direction. You never want it to be. You never want someone to be going to waste time effectively. So you you want to kind of steer them in the right way. My usual approach very much goes plan for the beginning and the end. Plan a lot of stuff you can work with, and be ready to cut as you go. 
like uh, the t- the two one shots that I've run recently were both to a greater or lesser extent within this same social group of people, this same society that I'm involved with, just on different levels and with different degrees of familiarity. And the one, the, the previous one I did was literally very much an episodic room by room. It's it's progressing through different maze-like sections of the Feywild. So we did just have a load of different rooms we could pick out based on which players we had, because uh, it was two DMs to help split up the number of people, and how much time we had and what we thought would be funny. So it could, it was literally just a case of, yeah. you just have to keep progressing through here until you manage to break through the Fey maze, i.e. we get to a point where we're ready for the final conclusion. And tricks like Tricks like that are so good. I would always try and encourage you... In any situation where time, you have to be done by a specific time. So this is where it comes to conventions and um, store games and things that you're writing. I would really encourage you to design something where you can cut rooms or change the layout or yeah. add things in. Like... Uh, you know, I showed recently a friend of mine who is wanting to get into GMing. Uh, someone I, I mentioned earlier that for a podcast I did as a student, we recorded some games. Mm. Um, he, the, one of the people from that, is wanting to GM, and they were asking me various pieces of advice. And they asked for, I, I said, well, look at my notes, right? And and their fir- their first comment about my notes were wow, there's so much stuff we didn't do here. And I was like, yeah. And that was still quite a linear uh, dungeon design. Um, It was a a dungeon with nine rooms, and you had to pass the trial in three of them to progress through it. All of them arranged in a specific order, but you you only had to do three rooms of the dungeon if you were being minimalist about it. Um, And I think for one shot... I don't know if this is true for you, but... If you look at the average session of a campaign versus a one-shot, I think you will find that you've prepared more and done less in a one-shot yes. than you will have done in a in a campaign session. Absolutely. Because you need to be able to manipulate time and things more. So I, I would always advise, in, if you're wanting to do a dungeon delve, especially with a lot of the circumstances we've talked about, you know, experimentation being one of the ones it's hardest to do, but anytime you're with strangers or things, or anytime where time is limited, you just don't know how efficient players are going to be. So I would always avoid a dungeon which has a map which the players can see. Yes. Make it some weird magical realm or something, you know strange. Zero punctuation sort of describes a trend in modern video games of, oh, you have to meet a fucking about quota. Well, in a one-shot, I think you do have to literally meet a fucking about quota. Yes. That said, there is still a lot of room for storytelling and expansion. Because it's very rare for people to bring characters they've played before into a one-shot. So so maybe the players are also a little bit more inefficient because they don't know how they're role-playing necessarily on that. Or it might be a build they've never done before. Like As much as the GM experiments, I often think the players... I've seen very creative character builds in one-shots because people are like... Well, it doesn't really matter. I may as well. I've, I've always thought this would be interesting. Let's play, do something so dumb. Yeah. So, because it has that quality to it, I think you should expect to 
be like, okay, this element is interesting to the players and this element is not interesting at all. So you've yeah. got that freedom to cut that you don't have in a campaign. Yeah. Because, you know, if something isn't interesting... I mean, you do have some of that in a campaign. Recent in, in the most recent session of the game AJ plays in, I introduced an NPC called Madame Vess, and she was not meant to be the focus of the entire session, but the players kept bothering. <laughs> I think in my case it was the words were, I would like to poke her. Yes. Yes. Um, but <laughs> in, in a one-shot, you can make the entire one-shot about that one character they've expressed interest in if you've, you know... And if they express no interest in something you set up but find something else really interesting to investigate, then go with the thing that they're interested in doing. They're, in all of the circumstances we've talked about, pretty much, you're, you're just there for light, fun, and or you're trying to introduce someone into the hobby or something. I mean, follow what the players are interested in, generally useful advice, but what I'm saying here is, you can edit and you should edit in a one-shot, in a way you can't in a campaign, because yeah. if a detail is not important in a one-shot, it never needs to come back again. You need um, to be very where, flexible and versatile in a one-shot. Yes, yeah. Whereas in a campaign, you don't necessarily have that same freedom because, you know, if the players are missing something important, you're going to have to find a way to get that important back thing back into the campaign. I have yeah. two sort of examples that I'd still like to raise in relation to this. Only right. one of them is a game that is anything to do with me. And so I'll start with that one, which is the one I did yesterday, which was by by sort of counterpoint, whereas the first one I mentioned had all these rooms I could cut out. The one I was doing yesterday literally just had a start point and an end point that I had in mind mm. in my head. Because I didn't know how many people there were going to be, I hadn't planned any of the mechanics of how to, of how the big bads would work or any of the monsters. And that was very much being made up on the fly based on how many people are there here, what's going to be a problem, what's going to be fun and interesting. And I hadn't planned any middle grounds. I had literally gone. I know how I'm going to introduce it. I slay clash, crashes through the through the beginning of the through the roof, and this gives them a way to get to the end, which is fighting the jolly winter prince. My my logic was I can fluff the middle, and there's pro, there pro, it's probably going to take longer than I expect at the start, which was correct. There was a lot of fun involved around uh, interrogating the very drunken gnome who was pi who was piloting it, letting them realise that ah there's a there's a there are three empty bottles of wind of festive spirits, and one half drunk one in the glove compartment, and finding a twisted fey equivalent of. Uh, of Santa's sack, wherein it's a bag of holding, but they can, as an action, pull out anything that would be considered a children's toy. Except they needed to roll a d10, and on a one or a two, it will be a weird, twisted, fey fuckery stuff. I.e., they pull out. They asked, and the case that came on when this was, they one of them thought, "I'm going to pull out a toy sword," and they rolled a two. They pulled out a real sword. And they needed to make a charisma saving throw, which they succeeded. But if they had failed, it would slowly turn them into. It would slowly their appearance would slowly begin to change and become more like a toy soldier until they fully become a toy soldier. Stuff like that. So there was a lot of chance for for fuckery around there, including the nonsense as they try and pull it out onto the roof, as the reindeer that was pulling it, uh, tr the snow simulacrum reindeer transforms, and and uh, I get some chance to give them some weird, uncomfortable imagery, like the fact that the reindeer has human teeth, 
and a chance to see, given it, given you crashed, it crashed through a building, how wrong does it reform? And the fact that one of them decided to telepathically connect with this to try and find out if it was be able to help when it pulled away, does the reindeer take on aspects of them or do they take on aspects of the reindeer? And they failed the save, so they they took on aspects of the reindeer. But after that, it's a case of, yeah, they can pilot this. There'll be a, there'll be a check involved to see how well they can pilot it. And they piloted it well enough to get there, but not well enough to land perfectly. So I gave them the chance of, I gave them the layout of the environment and go, you know, this landing is going to be very much the same as how you first received this, 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 um, this sleigh. So I have one question for you. Would you like to pick a target? And so depending on how they'd gone, it could have landed anywhere. There could have been chance for them to land in the elves' workshop. They could have landed. They chose to land right in in the jolly the jolly wind prince's home. It could have landed in the reindeer paddock, in which case they would have had a chance to fight uh, Rongdolf, the uh, eight-headed hydra reindeer. There's a lot of utter nonsense that could have ensued there, but they just went straight for him. That allowed me to get to the fight. They were ne- they nearly killed him, and I realised there's still an hour, maybe 45 minutes left of time here. So at that point, I then had to add some of their elements in that still were in the back of my mind as possibilities, but stuff that you kind of have to make up on the fly to make sure you don't just go, well, this was unexpectedly short, damn. But... All in all, it led to an interesting and tense game, and it, it's, we still managed to finish within that time frame. So I, I sort of feel like that's a good example of the elements of working out what of working out on the fly. What can you cut out? I.e., they've gone straight for the they've gone straight for Santa's Santa's home, and we didn't have as and I didn't think there'd be enough time to have a full chart, full dungeon type exploration of things. So let them just do that, and. We've not. We are. We are getting to the end too soon. Time to add some more elements back in. Some introduce a new threat or a new mm-hmm. level to the threat they weren't previously aware of, and it's it's that sort of degree of needing to plan on the fly that you really have to consider if you are doing a one shot. Yeah, yeah. Unless uh, the the alternative, I think, for that, and this is what that example of um, a new GM did, because I mm-hmm. think that can be. That's very easy for us, two people who are quite experienced, to say. Yeah. Less easy for in, for a beginner. Yes. Yeah. I I think I think um, if that intimidates you, there are like you know, you can always tell your players, I intend for this to be a one shot. Like you know, just be honest with them, being like, I think this is about enough for us. Absolutely. And don't worry if you wrap up too soon or too or it takes more sessions. Like. They'll be understanding if they're nice, and if they're not nice, you shouldn't be playing role-playing games yeah. with them. And there are plenty of one-shot adventures available free or for minimal cost uh, of digital downloads for loads of sessions. I mean, uh, the Star Trek Adventures RPG is is my go-to example for this, um, for the kind of thing I hope much more role-playing games will do, which is to release books of where each chapter of the book is a single mission, a single adventure that should only take a couple of sessions. Because um, I think D&D hasn't done that as much as I'd like. Um, that's been filled by third-party publishers. Um, you can always look and look at reviews for that kind of thing. Mm. Because, yeah, I think it's interesting. There's plenty of options when you're running a one-shot. And I think... A one-shot is a freer experience. It's a chance to experiment. It's a chance to introduce people. What you want to put into it can be very 
personal and flavoursome. Um, when you're running those introductory type games, either to a system, a setting, or to the hobby as a whole, I would always try and include as broad a net as you can. Mm. Um, like a, a very standard formulation of that kind of one shot for me would be the players all meet up and introduce themselves. There is maybe, I tend to give them a night or so, either encamped or in a tavern or wherever, of time, like a, a little bit of time where I'm just narrating events a little bit, just setting the scene, letting yeah. them set their characters, just to get them comfortable. Then we will have some kind of introductory fight, which is not connected really to the overall story, but it is designed to get people thinking about combat and introduce all of that in a low-stakes way, quite often a bar brawl or an animal attack, something that yes. is the easiest the system allows for combat to be and does not threaten them. Someone to get them, something to get them familiar. Yeah, then we'll... You know, start introducing the plot, let them travel to the plot location, you know, explore the dungeon or persuade the bad guy or whatever. Um, and it tends to be quite straightforward. But I don't think one shots need to be, but I think that kind of one shot where you're introducing people and where you don't know who you're playing with, yeah, are a lot um, are a lot better for being straightforward. You could do complicated things later. I know it's not what you meant when you said I give them a night of narration, but I, I, for the moment, it took a good five seconds for me to process and go, oh, you're meaning it to the time rather than M rather than an NPC that's just telling them what's going on. Just be constantly being followed around by a bard going, and then they did this. And just the rest I, of the party I just looks at him and goes, for a no. charity auction sold a... So everyone was giving, well, like, pledges, like that was... And they were raising money for... For various stuff um, and the thing I, I put up as a lot was you could have a full day of me providing <laughs> narration of your life I know uh, so I followed around the winner just being like oh he's handing it he's handing it his work now he's handing it in oh, oh it's, a, it's a champion move it's, a, it's a bold play Kjotten let's see if it pays off yeah exactly um, and now, and now I just now I've got it's a really dumb idea, but now I want to run a one shot which is entirely just narrated third hand by a, by a bard. And sure, the players can choose to to not do what he's saying he's doing. At which point he's like, oh shit, I've got to rewrite that. Then fine. Uh, and then they went. To, uh, uh, look, this is this is going really off script, guys. Uh. I um I once had a finale to one of my campaigns use that mechanism it it was set 20 the opening scene of the finale session was set 20 years later and featured a bard recounting the ending of the <laughs> tale about these uh, player characters it was quite fun um not relevant but <laughs> just fun um, yeah the last example i was going to bring in in that case is possibly a controversial one but acquisitions incorporated because oh yeah uh, admittedly, a lot of their more recent stuff has been one continuous narrative. It's it's very much the sense of the their big shows do end on a cliffhanger or something that leads into a it's a it's a longer running story than simple episodes. But if you do look at a lot of the earlier live shows, they are self contained episodes. They are self contained stories. Mm. And while it is characters that you're familiar with, so it doesn't have the the little section of how to introduce people, they 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 have that limited time frame that needs to be done. I.e., they've got the stage for three hours or whatever uh 
they have they have to introduce the premise of that story and the conclusion to it, which is usually just giving a taster of what product the Wizards of the Coast are putting out that time. And some and based on what shenanigans happened, sometimes there is they have to cut things or make things go as make things up as they go along. Granted, it's not the exact same formula because the players are very much to a certain extent performers as well so they will they will be very much leaning more into we know this has to be concluded by this time as well so they might take shortcut the players might also take shortcuts that you wouldn't necessarily want them to in your game because you'd rather the players take the actions they want to rather than the, the actions they feel they need to but it is a good example of of looking at how things can be made to fit that shorter concept and how uh, you can have that uh, that very self-contained arc like the one of the example I'm going to bring up is uh, if you recall the uh, going to the Baldur's Gate chapter of Acquisitions Incorporated, yes, yes, yeah, and yeah. the gimmick of that game was that Chris Perkins had literally just set up a a sliding tile puzzle of a base, wherein they had what was it something like a five by five grid with one tile missing, in which all the rooms are there, and so they can just rearrange the base as they wish to to make the most optimum thing. So the basic format gimmick of gimmick like that is really good in a one yeah. go actually that's a, another good piece of advice some single point of weirdness or a single strange mechanic will do a lot of work for you in a one shot carry on yeah but because that ba- the basic format of that episode was the characters arrive they are introduced to the environment they get a chance to fuck around with the npcs and and me- and and find out who the ma- who the main threat is i.e. that bad guy over there who is threatening to take over take over your business and has a lot of mercenaries nearby and you know it's probably not going to be long until they attack you can you they they then spend the majority of the session effectively going how do we want to deal with this and exploring the environment they've got getting familiar with that gimmick mechanic and deciding how they want to arrange things to prepare for the main threat and then the final threat is that fight and there are a number of shortcuts that he takes like the like the idea of so there's this room full of chandeliers can i drop a chandelier on them and that is kind of almost a way of going yeah, this is one shortcut to t- to deal with a lot of the big bads, a lot of the a lot of the bad guys, very quickly. So it doesn't just become a long drawn out initiative. It's something that's fun and quick, and you can make things up on the fly depending on how much of a threat you want to be, how drawn out you want to be, or if you're looking at the timer and going, we've got forty five minutes, and a lot of the bad guys are still on the table. Yeah, um, and you can run games like that. You could run a campaign that was just one shot after one shot yeah. after one shot, like if you wanted to. Sure, go for it. Um, and the other example of that, where I think that's applicable, is hot seat GM games, um, which are recommended in a few of the more modern role-playing games to come out. Um, those not like D&D, more like Star Trek. I've spoken about Star Trek. <laughs> uh, I think because Star Trek Adventures is really interesting to talk about in regards one-shots, because Star Trek Adventures took an interesting approach or at least it seemed to from the reading i did where you are trying to create an episode of the star trek tv show not a game in the star trek universe in the same way like you know not as in the sense of like oh you're all playing actors who are playing star trek characters but you know what i mean like the idea is that conceptually fits into how star trek fits which is it's an episodic tv program you want it's telling this one story and if you want to fit fill that theme that that idea 
that Star Trek embodies, the game kind of wants to follow that, follow yeah, to, to inspire that feeling. Giving people time in the limelight for playing secondary characters and for advancement is based on kind of fulfilling a character arc kind of thing. So th- there's a lot of that kind of stuff going around. But I know, for example, a streamed game uh, run by a friend of mine called uh, Iskander. They did run a hot seat GM game, and, and Star Trek Adventures advises this, where the GM changes between adventures. I mean, they mm. aren't necessarily GM just for changing each session, but after a, a, an adventure is concluded, they all swap round, and yeah. someone else plays the GM, and they all have characters who just happen to be absent for that. If you were running that in D&D, you could do it around like an adventurer's guild. I've often thought that would be a yeah. really interesting way of running a very large D&D game, because, I mean, I like Critical Role, but <laughs> Jesus, there's too many people at that table. Yeah. It gives me anxiety. <laughs> I mean, I've uh, flip-flopped around um, what size of table I want, because now I'm running for three. Um, and I was running for six, and I have been running for eight, and I do think that, you know, four or five is actually where you want it to be. But I can see that. Yeah, but, like, you know, if you if you had 12 or 15 different people wanting to play D&D, what you could do is run an Adventurer's Guild and hot seat GM it, so the people who want to be GMs then run sessions with five or six of those people on a kind of ad hoc basis, that might be better if you've all got if you've got a lot of people with contrasting scheduling commitments and you just accept that you're going to hand wave the fact that some people show up at random points and some people disappear at random points. Mm. That might be another way of using one shots over a period of time, using lots of different ones to make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I know we've I know we've moved past it, but I was just sat there thinking, ah, we're talking about Star Trek now. Is this where he slips in a, a, a plug to his other podcast that talks about Star Trek matters? Uh, what, what's that podcast well, called again, Nathan? It's, it's a podcast called Red Shirts. Uh, Red Shirts podcast. Uh, unfortunately, not a great name because there are three others with that name. But um, yeah, it sounds you shit. Find it. Uh, <laughs> You're here to plug, I'm here to undermine. One of them discusses American uh, things. I don't know by the time what you, uh, you you listen to this what episode will have been out, but we've done episodes in the past on City in the Edge of Forever, um, Data's Day, and uh, also done really shit episodes of Star Trek, like Sub Rosa and A Mock Time. Um, I was going to say, so... is, is th- this is going to be the awkward moment where b- we're so behind schedule with this podcast that by the time it releases, you've already brought that podcast to a close and gone, um, no, no more of that. <laughs> this entire section just gets cut. Well, I recently bought my podcast uh, host's tickets to a Star Trek convention in November, so I've got to keep the podcast <laughs> until, until then. So what you're saying is guilt is going to keep the, keep this relevant. Guilt is what's <laughs> yeah. going to keep this section in. Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of one-shots, I don't know if I have anything else to, uh, to add. I feel like we've been pretty comprehensive in why you might want to run a one-shot bits of tips and tricks to run a one-shot, examples of how they might be used and things you could play around with. I have only one more piece of advice, really, to give in terms of one-shots, which is that if you are considering one, if you just do it. If you've got a group of friends that are interested, I don't... Even if you're not... Even if, if you're worried that you're not experienced enough for it or you're not confident, just give it a go. Find a group of friends that are that you get on with 
either at the table or just otherwise that people that you think you're g- are going to have a good time with it and just give it a try because the worst thing happens it doesn't go as well as you'd have liked but you're all still friends and you'll have all been there for a good time no one's no one's going to rag on you for a game that didn't go as well as you'd liked and it ge- and if it doesn't go that well it gives you ideas for how you can improve it next time and it will, will let you know if this is something you're actually interested in doing in more in longer term i'd say if you have an idea just give it a try heck that's that's kind of how i started i just sort of went to to the person who was running the dm who was my dm when i first came to university it was a case of i want to have a try at something and they just let they just let me have a go so a one shot is a perfect chance for you to try that my first attempt at dming was frankly awful but you move forward from there just mm. if you if you want a one shot is a great chance for you to test the water if you've got something you're wanting to do and you can find a group of people to try it take the step yeah well i don't think there's um anything else left to say that's a far so, too uh, earnest point to end on someone make a fart joke uh, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. all right goodbye everyone goodbye and always remember roles don't count <laughs> <laughs>